the pickaxe and roll brought to you by mile high sports i'm your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter the site manager over at denver sniffs where you can follow all of our work over there uh doing draft profiles right now uh we're gonna get into all that mix over the course of the off season so don't don't you worry there's gonna be a whole bunch of content all throughout the off season i have no doubt uh but for now i wanted to uh, bring on a very special guest. He's a recurring member of this podcast for sure. Uh, somebody who I trust dearly, who I consider a good friend, Gordon Gross at G Money Nugs on Twitter. Gordon, what's happening, my guy? Not much. Just here to talk about all things nuggets and try not to get mad like I've been all week. So I'm going to try to keep it together, stay like just this side of completely salty and uh, get some good, get some good nuggets conversation in. There's a there's been a lot of uh, angst and anger on the timeline, and I, I would say I'm contributing to some of it for sure by highlighting the the fact that the Nuggets and the Houston Rockets are the only two teams in the NBA without a dedicated practice facility. Yep, as well as the the various things that could have gone into it with the Comcast deal and things like that. But I I wanted to have you on specifically, and we're going to have it. This, this is a big podcast. We're going to go into a two-part podcast, and so we're going to have a lot of time talking about the draft, free agency trades. But We're not doing first... that because there's so much to talk about. We're doing that because I talk too much. You don't have to tell the people. The people know. If the people they hear do. my name, they aren't thinking, oh, God, it's going to be a short, concise, dreary by the numbers podcast it's gonna be right, ah, let me, crap let me uh let me plan out my entire day around listening to this podcast that so is correct go, go that to the grocery store it is gonna be he's gonna be on the air again and he just won't shut up so take I'm a totally drive here for that. look you gotta wait into your strengths okay like <laughs> you don't you, you gotta wait into your strength it's important i love it um but yeah the the, the biggest thing with you is you've been a nuggets fan for a long time You've been around the block for a long time. You know how this goes, and you've been a fan ever since the the Masai Ujiri uh, snafu back in 2013, and uh, everything that the organization has kind of gone up and down through that. And and I've that's when I first really started getting into covering the Nuggets and, and talking about the Nuggets. And uh, I'm I'm not as well versed in all of the mechanics that went behind that, but I have talked to enough people to know there was some cheapness with ownership. That led to George Carl's ultimate firing. Uh, that led to Masai Ujiri's ultimate departure. And Denver hasn't paid the tax a ton. They've, they've cut corners in various ways. And uh, the first thing that I want to talk to you about, I want to know if the ownership group is fully behind the organization winning a title. I think that it is. I think that there are different ways to interpret that. But well, that's, yeah, fully is the the operative word there is fully. Yeah. Right. Like this is this is my my concern with ownership um, has nothing to do with how much they love basketball. Um, I think Stan Kroenke doesn't give a crap about basketball personally. Um, I think Josh absolutely does. Josh cares about the Nuggets. Josh cares about basketball. Josh would love to hang a banner and bring a title and be the first guy that ever pulled that off in Denver. and. You know what I mean? Like, I think that title yeah. means more to him. I think it would be his title. It's not a family title. If if the Nuggets win a title, it's because Josh was like, we're going to do this. So that's good. Like, you have a member of ownership for whom it's not a, it's not a, a bottom line decision. You know, you're, you, don't have, you don't own the, the Nuggets for their tax purposes um, and, or for the real estate holdings around them that you're going to develop, which the Nuggets are doing. Um, you know, you own them because you want to win. So in that sense, I'm happy that, that Josh is, um, is in a, a leadership role because he does care. Like, you know, I mean, he, he, he played basketball, like, you know, this, this is something that matters to him. He enjoys the sport. He enjoys the nuggets. He's a competitor. Um, I, I don't have concerns on that front. My concerns are, it ain't his money. Yeah. Like, really, it's not his money. It's Stan's money. So if the guy who cares can't get the guy who is indifferent to give up the money, then it, it, you're, they're not fully behind the nuggets. And this is my 
this has been my my frustration with what ownership brings to anything for a while, right? Is is ownership's job is to a hire a head of personnel, like whether that's your president of basketball operations or a general manager or whatever you want to call that guy. You hire the vision center, right? And he's supposed to hire the other guys. So your job, if you're a if you're an owner, is to hire one or two major executives a decade. So th- that, that requires you to understand talent in that respect, I suppose. But you only have to know that or screw it up, I guess, once or twice. You know, I mean, Josh, is, Josh hired um, Masai, and he was here for three years. Uh, they let him go. Um, he went to get paid basically eight times what he was making in Denver, literally yeah. eight times. Yep. And uh, then they hired Connolly. And Connolly was here almost a decade, and he's gone. So that's two hires since 2010. So in that sense, you know, yes, talent evaluation matters, but only like it only comes up every five years. And your other job is to pay for stuff. And that's like if anybody has a talent, you know, if, if, let's say Tim Connolly's talent is drafting offensive players outside the lottery. He's got that talent. He's amazing at it. That's terrific. You know, when um, uh, the Nuggets used to have a a cap guru um, who worked for them, Uh, his name was Pete. He went to um, Sacramento when they did. Alessandro. Yeah. Yeah. They they didn't tore apart that organization. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he was almost a GM here, Um, but they let him walk too. And when they hired uh, Masai, basically. Um, but Pete was a salary cap guru. Like his deal was, I can fit anything into a spreadsheet. I can, you know, I can manage the cap, like nobody's business. I understand how to get us. It's a competitive advantage, right? Like I can fit another guy in this roster. I can make a trade that other people couldn't have made. Whereas you noticed in Tim Connolly's first go around, they tried to offer Farid a a contract that was illegal. They couldn't give him the fifth year. But they tried anyway because they didn't have a guy like Pete on staff who would tell them that you can't do that. So having different strengths is important. Like everybody brings their own ownership strength is their wallet. So until the Nuggets actually pay big for something and they're not just upgrading a hologram or making the chairs feel a little nicer or, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, putting down a new hardwood floor you know, or making a new locker room. Like those are all, those are cute, you know, but other teams are investing $50 million in practice facilities. Other teams are, you know, uh, Joe Lacob is, is, is going hundreds of millions of dollars, literally hundreds of millions of dollars the past few years into the luxury tax. That's not salary. That's extra tax to keep his team together. And his team, once again, looks like they're going to be competing for a title. So, he pays and he built that whole new stadium and they, they did everything, you know, golden state's doing everything for that squad um, to make sure that they can put the best squad that they can on the floor. They paid million dollar assistant coaches, you know, they pay everybody and the nuggets, you can't say uh, it's an undeserved reputation. It's a very deserved reputation. They don't pay anybody. Like Malone is not one of the top paid coaches in the league. Um, Connolly was not one of the top paid executives in the league, which is how he got poached. Um, the assistant coaches for the Nuggets are not highly paid, and I know that because they keep leaving. They wouldn't keep leaving for lateral jobs if they were making money. So they're not making money. Um, this is a it's an organizational philosophy, and I don't see that changing because we've had no evidence that it would. Because the latest evidence we got this week is that. Tim Connolly got, you know, an offer that he couldn't refuse and the Nuggets had no intention of matching. So it still lines up that they're not going to open the wallet. So are they fully behind a championship? We haven't seen it yet. That's kind of where I'm going with this. Like I've diagrammed out some questions that I I could or could not ask you. Like, was the offer too big for the Nuggets to match? The answer is no. Like, because you can, you can go up to infinity in the number that you can actually offer. That's the, that is the number that you can go to. There's no salary cap on executives. There's no tax 
on executives. There's no, you know, there's nothing. The only reason not to pay him is that you want that cash to not go out of the organization. It's not like they hired a different guy for what they just offered um, Connolly. Like, no offense to Calvin Booth, he was already the GM. They didn't give him, like, the, the same offer that they gave Connolly not to leave. In order to give Calvin Booth a job, they just promoted him. And they saved yeah. the money. They didn't hire another person at that huge salary. They're not filling out a huge, like, crazy, you know, coaching staff with this extra money that we've seen or that we, you know, maybe they will, I guess. But we sure haven't seen it. So, yeah, like, it, your money for those sorts of salaries like you said, could be infinite, and the Nuggets definitely have a ceiling on it. It's a self-imposed ceiling. And was it a lot? Yes. Like, was this a a creative deal that Minnesota crafted together in order to pull him out of Denver? Yes. I I, I don't like if it was five forty and Denver matched like five thirty, uh, but it didn't have the ownership stake. I think that he would have stayed in Denver. I think that that's a that's. It, like he still would like the money at that point would have been would have been negligible, but he wasn't offered five. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say here. ten million dollars is negligible to anybody. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah. There, like I said, there is a point. He was Denver. Tim Connolly was Denver. So his family is here. Like he's he's raised his kids here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. He loves Denver, and so in order to leave, did they offer much more than Denver was offering? Absolutely. Why was it much more than Denver had offered? Why was it much more than his current salary? And that's the thing. It's a, it was an active choice that the Nuggets made that they were not going to pay their top executive. And they weren't uh, going to send him early either. Yeah. yeah. And you know that it was money that he earned because somebody offered it to him. That's, that's the thing. It's like this, this is market value now. And, and you have an opportunity. You had a previous opportunity actually to extend him and not give him like a, an out at this point, but they decided not to do that. That's been their policy. And they let all these contracts expire without doing anything. And they got burned again for it. Uh, My thing is that this was an active choice. They chose not to pay. How many other active choices have they made to cut corners, to maximize, or or like that they have made to save money, uh, to not maximize the team's potential, either their earning potential by being on TV and and cultivating a fan base and whatnot, yep. or the uh, on court potential with cutting some corners for salary purposes. You remember the deal where Kenneth Farid and, and Darrell Arthur were traded for a first round pick, or including a with. first round pick, yeah, with a first round pick to uh, to dump some salary. Uh, right. The Golden State Warriors were not dumping salary, and if you were the Nuggets and you took some money back in that deal. Uh, rather than trying to duck the tax, then you might be in a position where you could have matched some salaries and actually come up with some creative ways to compete earlier in the process. They wouldn't have had to trade Gary Harris to the Orlando Magic. They would have still had a perimeter defender, if, if but they, they needed the matching salary. So when this, I is, think yeah, this that, is the issue really for, for the Nuggets is that everything for um, ownership has seemed to year by year come down to what the value is for us right now. And forward-thinking organizations look forward and say, you know what? It's more important that I, whatever it is, uh, preserve unity, like increase satisfaction within our team, like, you know, better prepare us for a title run, keep guys healthier, whatever it is, like not investing in practice facilities. And you've had one of the most injured teams in the league. Is that coincidence? I don't know. Uh, but I would tell you that, you know, you training in something that embarrasses high school, um, you know, kids to go into might not be the greatest way to keep professional athletes at the top of their game. Are you investing the best thing you can in the, in the newest trainers and the uh, best, you know, training facilities and the most modern training techniques? No. So uh, there's obviously a cap on, you know, they feel like this is a reasonable expense. And uh, the thing with reasonable is that you are in a field with people who are unreasonable. They are competitors. They will do whatever it takes to win, you know? And this is that thing that, that college teams seem to understand really well. Like Michael Porter Jr.'s dad was hired as an assistant in Seattle. 
Okay. When that was someplace for Washington, when Washington was right. maybe going to be where MPJ was going to play. Um, and then that head coach got fired. And then Michael Porter Sr. retired or resigned, I guess. And then MPJ went to Missouri and Michael Porter's dad was on the staff. You know why? That wasn't, that was what was important to Mike. That was what was important to get him to sign there. And coincidentally, that's what happened. Like these are the the decisions that you make. That's a business decision. That's not a that's not a responsible decision. That's a we are want MPJ to play here. Now he was injured at Missouri. It didn't work out for them, but they right. took that swing and they paid that price to do it. They put a salary on his dad and they hired him. You know, I, this is the same way where, um, like you know, Felipe for for the squad is considered family for Jokic. Um, he's the, he's one of the, the head trainers. Um, right. and, and if he, uh, was to get a better offer from like, say Dallas would the Nuggets match it to keep Jokic's friend around, or would they let him go as a bottom line decision? We don't feel like trainers should be paid that much. Like this is what keeps coming up in, in questions around the team. Now that they've put this, this was almost quashed. Like, Yes, coaches kept leaving, but they were retaining the ones that they wanted to retain. You know, like they were like Malone hadn't left because they were cheap yet. They gave Malone extensions. He kept taking them. You know, Tim Connolly could have left for Baltimore um, to join the Washington Wizards, and he didn't do that. Um, so you were thinking maybe the Nuggets are actually getting the hang of this. And then this summer, again, it cropped up that they haven't got the hang of this. So... Now you don't know if they're going to offer Jokic a max. Are they going to try to weasel out of the max offer because they don't want to pay that much? Like, what are reasonable expenses for a for a vanity team that's a tax write off? Like, well, some people are all in. Some people are owners who want to compete. Um, Mark Cuban has won exactly one title, but he's always been paying. Like, he's happy to field a bunch of money. He's into his team. He loves his team. You know, it's his baby. Um, and I don't, I don't know that the Nuggets fans feel like their ownership feels the same way. Yeah, it's definitely a feeling thing. Uh, it's also, like I've talked about ownership being a competitive advantage. That's where uh, the, the elite organizations sort of separate themselves from the good organizations. And I think you can still call Denver a good organization, despite Absolutely. the fact that like, like they, they don't pay for things. Like that's sort of the, the thing. And I'll, let me rephrase that. They, they'll pay for good talent on the court. Uh, will they pay excessively for good talent on the court? No. Um, but my question to you, are these extra things, like whether it's a practice facility with a, uh, when 28 teams have them and only Houston and Denver doesn't, uh, the G League team, which is a hybrid uh, system where they're all the way out in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, uh, and up to date and like awesome training staff and strength and conditioning team and extra coaches and things like that. Are these extra things necessary to win a title? Because the Nuggets haven't won one in their history. Uh, they're not necessary. Uh, you could absolutely win one without it. Um, in the same way that, you know, you can get college teams that get lucky one year, you know, like that absolutely happens, but you're, you're not maximizing your chances. So my, my thing with the, with the Nuggets is that by not hiring the absolute best um, uh, assistance you could possibly pay for, the best guys money can buy, the Nuggets can't say they do that because those guys take more money and they work for other organizations and you would have to buy them away from those organizations. And the Nuggets haven't bought anybody away from any organization like ever. Um, yeah, it would be one thing if they like, if like hypothetically they they bought away Ron Adams from Golden State. Like right. I know that they they couldn't do that, but uh, they've never tried. Right, like you you've never you've never taken a guy who's the next young um, defensive you know wizard head coach or old wizard head coach, you know, like that the, the young or old genius um, who who all they do is they're defensive legends, and you say cool. Here's $2 million a year to come be an assistant coach on my team. You, they, they've never done that. They're not going to do that. 
you know, they, they have proven that they're not going to do that. The last guy that they paid was George Carl. He was making what, like 8 million a year or some crazy number. Um, and they didn't feel like they got return on that investment because they didn't get out of the first round enough. And George is George. I mean, I, I love George, but he's, uh, I think George would agree that he's not the easiest person to work with. Um, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. I mean, and uh, he's a competitor. Like uh, a lot of competitors aren't the easiest people to work with. You know, that's just, this part of being a competitor is, and that's honestly why sometimes you do have to change things up is that the guy you have becomes abrasive and you just need a new voice. You don't have to have a better voice necessarily. It can be an equally talented coach or front office person or whatever, but you need a new one. But I don't get the sense at all that that's where Tim Connolly was at. You know, oh, yeah. anybody's last... anti-abrasive. Yeah. You know, it's the TV. last image that we have of Tim Connolly is him kissing Nikola Jokic on the cheek. Yeah. Uh, like, like that's, that's kind of where this organization is at. They're a family. They're, they're close knit. They're together. And right. Or but at the least the, is, the sets that front... tone. Yeah. Right. Wait, the question and... is, was that a tone set by the front office or by ownership? Like we're about to find out, but I, I find it really hard to believe that the family vibe plays when you won't pay family actual money. Family's one thing, but money's something else. Like the, the concern that all Nuggets fans, well, uh, have been voicing, most Nuggets fans over the last week have been voicing is that basically um, the Cronkies value, you know, cash green over Nuggets blue. That's, that's really the concern that fans have, and it's been reawakened by what happened this week, and we don't have any answers for that. Can the Nuggets win a title without the, the Cronkies putting every dollar that other teams put into their teams? Absolutely they can. Um, will they? Well, that's going to depend then more on the on-court product because you're not, you're not maximizing your off-court or your non-player assets. You're not putting the absolute most expensive and talented coaches around Malone. You're not putting the absolute expensive and most talented trainers around the players. You don't have those training facilities. Um, you haven't maximized fan input with, you know, the Comcast deal um, and the continued blackout. So you don't have the loudest fans and the most contagious environment in the arena. Like we're always complaining that, you know, it's easy for other teams uh, supporters to come in and get tickets. And the reason for that is that, A, it's expensive to have tickets in, and it's expensive to do everything in Denver. And so out-of-town fans all often, or uh, you know, fans of other teams, are willing to spend money that fans who can see 42 games of their own team aren't going to spend. So it, it makes it easy. That's not a knock, but other teams don't have this, you know, the Celtics fans have two-thirds of the tickets in the arena problem that the Nuggets have. And that may be related to the lack of market penetration, the lack of bars that were put on, you know, that this is an advertising budget thing, you know, where you didn't press the bars. You didn't put all of your guys to work for the last three years, making sure that every bar in the city shows every Nuggets game and that every, you know, thing is, is slathered with Nuggets attention. They didn't do that. They haven't spent that money. Um, and so they haven't maximized off the court. They're going to have to maximize on the court. And a lot of that depends on just getting the right players. If you get the right players, they can play in a dungeon. It'll be fine. It doesn't matter. Um, but I, I, we have yet to see if they're going to get that all worked out. The dungeon is a great nickname for a facility. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah, pretty good. It would be. I would. That's, yeah, uh, that would be terrific. That would be very cool. Um, no, you hit it on the head, man. Like, I think there's there are definitely some concerns and I think that's, I am not making too big of a deal about this. Uh, I think there are some people that believe I am making too big of a deal about this. Uh, it's not just from the Tim Connolly to Calvin Booth perspective. It's that this no. is a learned behavior from the entire organization, uh, from the ownership group that if, if you don't take every step to win, then I, I personally feel like you are doing it wrong and you're doing your group a disservice uh, because it is your obligation as an owner, like to open up your pockets. That's like, like you said, all you can do from an owner ownership standpoint is make sure you have enough money to pay the correct people to run your team. Yeah. And they, they just have not done that yet. So tell you what, let's move on. We're, uh, we're in this situation because uh, 
because the Nuggets organization has kind of forced us into it. But now, like you said, let's get to the Encore product. When we come back, uh, we're going to start talking about the draft and more specifically Calvin Booth's approach to this draft. We'll be right back. back pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much for tuning in everybody appreciate all the love and support as always if you could it'd be awesome if you could rate review and subscribe to the podcast five stars apple podcast spotify google wherever you get your podcast that would be fantastic uh i am joined today by gordon gross very excited to have him on we just uh bantered a little bit and like i'll, I'll let gordon run with it a little bit i think that that's definitely a like he he's got some thoughts on the organization and, and on ownership, and it's look. It's, I was trying important. not to write the article, okay? So at least I got <laughs> to come on the pod, and I didn't have to write a second article about my frustrations with uh, the purse strings in a week. So that's good. I appreciate you saving me the hassle. Um, I got that off my chest, and now we can talk about what I actually love to talk about, which is the Nuggets, because they still have every chance to be a favorite team coming out in the West this year literally this coming year um which was my my focus a week ago before all this nonsense happened um that the nuggets squad can absolutely contend if healthy with a couple minor alterations but their their core is set up to be really really good so yeah let's talk about the nuggets oh by the way everyone i want you guys to know Ryan, before he gets on the podcast, Ryan talks like this. This is Ryan. Ryan's like, hey, buddy, what's up? And then Ryan gets on the podcast and he's like, everybody, this is Ryan. What's going on? What's up, everyone? So Ryan's podcast voice is hilarious and I adore it. But I want you all to know that's not his real voice. That's, oh, that's not actually how Ryan talks. You're, you're opening up the 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 secrets in the vault, man. I, I I do my best to like, like sometimes you just got to get up for it. You got to make sure that everybody's engaged and make sure that they're all listening to everything. So you can, you can write these things at three in the morning is what it is. This is so that you can podcast and keep yourself awake. (laughs) It has nothing to do with that. Listening to the, to me, like I just had a cup of coffee. (laughs) It's great. Um, Let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about Calvin Booth. I think the, yep. like, like we talked about the, the main differences between Calvin Booth and Tim Connolly. We talked about this a little bit before. We're not sure where they're going to mostly differ from a, a roster perspective, from a, a talent identification standpoint, what traits they're going to be looking for. I'm very curious to pick Calvin's brain on this. What, what traits he values in sure. draft picks, because uh, that seems like it could potentially shape Denver's championship vision. And they've already got, like, they've got offensive skill players. They've got Nikola Jokic. You want high IQ players around him and, and whatnot. But you hit it on the head before. They've got the core. They've got the group that they believe in. It's just about filling in the pieces around it. And yep. I think word on the street is that Calvin Booth, very good at identifying role players. Very good. And especially in the draft, identifying draft talents. Uh, he was a 10-year vet, a supporting player. It makes sense. He's been in the front offices before Denver and now as the, the lead decision maker here. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious, but also confident that he can do the same. Well, and TC, um, I mean, Tim Connolly knew Calvin Booth when he was a player. They talked about players and drafts and scouting and whatever when Calvin was still playing. So this is one of those things. This is not like Calvin just like wandered in off the street a couple years ago and tried to figure out what to do. This has been a lifelong pursuit for him in his basketball career to transition to this kind of role. So he's been prepping forever for this. I would not expect him to be unprepared. My concerns with the draft, not concerns, I'm curious. Um, The way the Nuggets have drafted under Tim Connolly has uh, valued upside over literally everything. So that (laughs) means that age is a huge marker. There's a reason that the Nuggets don't draft a lot of 23-year-olds. Like, like, if you look at the older players they drafted, they definitely hit on Monte Morris, but he won the first-round pick. They drafted him in, like, the 50s. You know, and 
Now, I wanted him in the first round if they were going to like draft at 24. So getting him in the second round was amazing. But I'm just saying the Nuggets on their draft board, there's a reason that 19-year-old Zeke Naji and 19-year-old RJ Hampton and 19-year-old Jamal Murray, 19-year-old Nikola Jokic, 19, like they, that's who they draft. 19-year-old, you know, um, Frank Bull Gomez. Bull. Nine, yeah, 20, yeah, <laughs> nine, nine, Bull Bull. Because it was an upside pick, right? Like you, you make that pick because you're like, he's got crazy uh, abilities. He's a baby and he was injured. So we don't know what his stock could be, but the upside on it is basically unlimited. You know, when Gary Harris is basically the only vet that you've, that you've drafted in the first round, you know, that, you know, I guess other than, I mean, I guess Tyler Wyden might count as a vet, but again, that was bad. That was bad. I'm not even sure if Tyler Ladin counts. I, I uh, think that no. Tim and the entire front office was so frazzled that night after the things fell through. That I, think well just, I think they just threw a they just threw a like dart at the board and were like, put it up there. <laughs> we're gonna go out and have a drink. Like we they, do they not up, care. They upended the draft war room table when OG yep. Ananobi went off the board and just decided, all right, we're gonna pick up our notes here. Uh, Tyler Lydon, sure. Um, yeah. No, I, I think I think that's it's. It's one of his low marks. Uh, I'm not even sure if Calvin was in the building for that particular draft. He, he might not have been. Um, but like you, like we talked about, I think Denver's talented enough. I think the foundation yes. is stable enough that they shouldn't necessarily be looking for the best talents. They should be identifying the best fit, the guys that maximize yeah. what they currently do. And you could still go with guys with upside. Like the, a, a player at the position that you're looking for doesn't necessarily have to be uh, young and incapable in order to be like a, a good long-term pick, pick for you. Right. Like you could still draft and, and develop a supporting starter and feel pretty good about that. Because if you get a starter at 21st overall, you've done your job. So if you get, if I, you get a rotation player at 21 overall, you did your job. The idea is exactly. I, I feel like sometimes the expectations of people in the draft is um, a little askew. If you're drafting in the 20s, then your goal every time out is to get somebody who can play for you. And as a, um, as a contender, you don't have a lot of, you know, playoff rotation spots open. You shouldn't anyway. The fact that the Nuggets keep rolling like 10 day players out there in the playoffs is not how it's supposed to be. Um, you're supposed to have that stuff locked down with guys who you understand they're vets. They've got high floors. They've got whatever. And if you have a young player, a first and second year player who can crack that rotation, who can, you know, add, uh, you know, to the abilities of your playoff squad, that's terrific. You won. you got a great pick. So that's all the Nuggets should be trying to do. And because they have scads of offensive talent right now with Murray and MPJ coming back this coming year around Jokic with Bones off the bench, you've got, you know, and Morris, assuming that Morris is still here. You know, uh, you've got crazy offensive potential. Um, if Zeke can actually be healthy, that would be another guy who can put the ball in the hoop. I will see. Um, but the Nuggets have tons of young offensive potential. They need some other stuff. They need other kinds of role players. And so in the draft, I'm hoping that they're looking at that and that they would add a trainable young role player who can hopefully play some defense, potentially on a wing, like, the Nuggets have had that need for half a decade. It's never been filled. And th I can't say that they're necessarily wrong. You know, I mean, when you draft Malik Beasley and he's still in the league, you know, and you draft Wancho and he's still in the league and you draft, um, you know, all these guys that you keep drafting. Bones, obviously, is going to be in the league a long, long time. Right. You know, yes, they could use an offensive player um, but or defensive player, rather. But when you keep drafting offense and you keep hitting, that should free up some people for trades at some point. And that's where the Nuggets have to be at pretty much this year. Yeah, I think when, when we look at this team, they have, like we talked about, talent is good. Fit is where they need. They need yep. to, like, they're, they're revamping the wing position is where I would probably start uh, getting some more athleticism, getting some guys that can do some good defensive things and hopefully trade hit a shot C, as well. Trade and the draft. All of those things should be looking at that kind of player. Yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, they probably also have to solidify backup center just in case Boogie walks. Yep. They probably also have to add just traditional point of attack defenders, even if those guys are more point guard types. Correct. Uh, just, just hopefully somebody that's versatile. Like I would be, I would be remiss if I if I said they should draft a six foot guy. Like they should definitely draft somebody that is above six foot three or so. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. Um, do you think? that Denver can check these boxes or at least any of these boxes in the draft. Absolutely. There should be people in, in at, at 21, or if they want to move up a little bit, they could, um, uh, you know, assuming they keep the pick, they may trade it. Like we don't know that. Uh, but if they decided to draft where they're currently at, then yeah, dude, there are guys there who are, you know, rangy guard wing types um, who have defensive capabilities upside on offense. Like you can absolutely draft somebody who can um, who can contribute in that role for you. Uh, that was true last year in the draft, and they went with Bones, and Bones made the freaking all rookie team. So, like, yeah, they could do that again. But you know, there were guys there in the twenties last year. There are going to be guys there in the twenties this year. That is the kind of role you can get in the twenties. You can't really get a starting point guard. Um, you know, to in the twenties, that's not going to happen. Um, not directly out of college. Uh, so, you, but there are things you can get, and one of them is an off-ball, ten to fifteen minutes a game. You know, long, rangy, wing guy who's a stopper. Absolutely, exactly. And and there are a lot of those types of players in this draft. I feel like nope. there there aren't as many smaller guards actually, and there aren't as many bigger centers. Right. It's it's mostly the the wings and the forwards, yeah, I think, yeah. that that people are looking at. And I want to make this clear to people. I've heard a lot of people recommend Nikola Jovic. That is not a good pick for Denver in this case. That it's would not. be an upside pick on offense who doesn't play defense, who is not capable of doing the things you need to do in the next two years for the Nuggets to win a title. If you're looking to add a role player in the net who in the next two years could get a playoff rotation spot with you as a defender. He ain't that guy. And he's also 6'10". He's also yeah. just just a, a power forward defender. And, and there are a lot of guys in this draft like David Roddy and yep. uh, Jovic and, and players of that nature that are just bigger than what Denver should be looking for and not as athletic as Denver should be looking for. Right. Uh, Denver's got a bone up on guys that uh, – just just give them some oomph, give them some extra muscle and some extra speed and agility and quickness and length and athleticism and whatnot. And that'll make everything. The, if you've seen the Celtics and you've watched what they're doing, the Nuggets need one of those kind of guys. The Nuggets have zero of those kind of guys right now. I think Aaron Gordon is, is pretty close to that. That's but... true. And, but and with the, the problem with Aaron Gordon is he's been having to play down because yeah. Yeah. he's actually great as a big three slash four kind of defender, but having to have him guard ones is not his strong suit and you shouldn't make him do that all the time, but the nuggets have literally no one else. So plus they, they had to have him spot up from three because the other option was having Jeff green spot up from three. Uh, neither of those, those options were fantastic. So get yourself some wings, get yes. yourself some roster versatility, find a guy that can uh, help make your roster more versatile yep. uh, because if like, that's like we talked about, that's the position that's been neglected for so long. I, I give Tim Connolly a little bit of uh, a pass for this because he did draft RJ Hampton with the like reasonable thought that he would be on this roster. He did yes. add BJ Dozier with the reasonable thought that he would be on this roster. He drafted Jared Sir, Vanderbilt. He then traded him because he had to trade him because that's what they wanted. But, yeah. you know, you drafted the guy who would be perfect for you, you know, as the crazy rebounding, hustle, defensive, ridiculous player that he is. Um, there are it's not like he hasn't drafted them or tried to get people like that. It just hasn't worked out. Uh, he drafted Gary Harris. And if Gary Harris had not been busted up all the time, you know, that again would have been your, um, you know, your point of attack defender that you needed forever. So, right. and he did a good job with that for with Denver for a while. And obviously that ran its course and that's why you re, need to restock the cupboard. That's just right. kind of how this goes. So yep. Denver's got to do this. Of a GM. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I got, I've got some developing favorites in this draft from that, sure. pos- from that position where you get in that six, six to six, eight range guys that can uh, switch up and down the lineup a little bit. Uh, Marjan Bochamp is the first guy that I listed. He a lot of the people G's. were on him. Yeah. Yeah. I played for the G league ignite last year, six foot seven or so just a very big body with very long arms and profiles as a guy that can play some defense. And yep. he's old enough that you, he could reasonably ready to do that pretty soon. And that's, that's kind of where I would hope Denver kind of lives with some of these picks. So see a guy that you've thought of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Marjan is one of those guys that absolutely is on my radar. His wingspan is something like six eleven or seven feet. He's a strong kid. He's like, like you said, about six, six. Um, and I don't think his shot is broken, so I'm not worried about that. Um, in my opinion, his shot is basically what Will Barton's shot was at 20. So that's fine. I'm not worried about that. Like, if you put the work in and you, you, know, you get your opportunities, that's fine. But whoever that guy is for the Nuggets isn't getting up a lot of shots. Like, the Nuggets have their shots pretty much spoken for at this point. If you're running MPJ and Murray and Jokic – and bones and you know whatever that's that's a ton of shots right there everybody else is going to get like eight shots you know so you don't need a crazy ass shooter to be good at that you just need somebody who can square somebody up and hit make an open jumper and cut to the hoop and he can do that marjan bochep can actually can absolutely do that athletic enough to do it smart enough to do it uh just just seems like a guy that that if denver can't get some of these other guys that that would fall to them technically, then like he's right. a guy that should be there. I think at twenty one, I would be surprised well, if he if he was uh, drafted. Tim might, much take, might, Tim might steal him. Tim, oh, Tim might take him at nineteen. I'm waiting for <laughs> whoever goes at nineteen is going to make me salty for a while if it's a guy that Denver could have used. Hundred um, percent. But if if somebody like that is is moved up, like there are going to be other guys that could fall, and and yep. one of those guys is Tari Eason. Uh, Tari Eason plays with LSU. He's probably more of a three, four. Uh, yeah, than, not a, and he is the two, three, but he's not a swing, but man. he is like, if you're looking to get more athletic, if you're looking to get more defensive, he has some of the best defensive indicators in the entire draft. And if your goal is to just add perimeter defenders, you could just play him at the three and play Michael Porter at the four when Aaron Gordon needs a rest and feel pretty good about that kind of lineup. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he is, he is kind of Aaron Gordon size. He's a little bigger than Aaron Gordon, but um, he's got, he's got like a, like a Morris brothers kind of frame, mm. you know, which is great. Like that's, that's perfect in the NBA. Um, but he ha- he has like an NBA body. Like you don't have to worry about that. Um, he's got good hands. So, I mean, I, I do like him. Um, I, he's got to work on his shot, but I expect a lot of these guys in the twenties, if they're defensive guys, to need to work on their shot. Um, you're, you, uh, what you want is for them not to be Kmart, basically. Yeah, like uh, they, they could definitely, you could definitely make that happen and yeah. has some good defensive indicators. Like I, you mentioned his hands. Apparently he had the biggest hands at the combine, uh, kind of Kawhi Leonard style hands, which I think is right. pretty fascinating. Uh, but like you get these guys with these elite measurables and and good like cutting skills and uh, can do a lot of different things, can, can be productive and, Obviously, like it'll be a little bit different heading into a scheme like Denver's, but there's going to be a lot of minutes to go around it. You add a good defender, and then you add another good defender, and then suddenly you're a good defense. That's that's sort of how we're we're hoping that this thing goes. Well, it is everything everything on defense, especially the way the Nuggets like to structure their defense from a switching perspective. You can't run switching defenses if half your guys can't switch because they're six one or they weigh 140 pounds. Or, you know, they just don't have defensive feet or whatever it is. When you have, you know, strong, you know, guard slash wing types and strong power forwards and you can deny point of entry, then all of a sudden you don't have a layup line going by Jokic because you can't stop anybody on penetration. Once you can stop that initial drive, you can do all sorts of things with your defense. But it starts with having multiple guys. You can't just switch the ball handler you know, onto Bones Highlander, whatever, all the time, and then just get him run at the hoop. So these are the things that, that the Nuggets are, have to look into. Um, yeah, getting a, getting a big wing is important. Getting another, you know, a 3-4 type would also be great. Um, you know, any of these defensive guys, 
you know, in the draft would be terrific. Like if Agbaji falls, I want that guy too. Like exactly. You know, these are, and he's older. So I, you know, I don't know if the nuggets would actually look at him in the Tim Connolly era um, because he's what 22. Yeah. He's a, he's a four-year guy. He's at four-year Kansas. Guy. Yeah. That's all those guys are going to be old. Yeah. But I but mean, that's okay. uh, uh, there's no problem with that. Like that's not an issue. You're looking for another like Wilson Chandler. You're looking for another Gary Harris. You're looking for another, any of those guys with upside who right now can come in and play defense came from defensive schools, you know, so they already know what to do. That helps like, you know, Tari Eason, you know, that he knows how to play some D like you said. Um, There's, there's some other guys who um, could work out, but it's, it's really for me, how is it that you, that you plan to build your squad? And I don't know that I want the Nuggets to try to draft somebody who has to be a starter, like, or has to be able to in your playoff rotation this year. But I want them to draft guys who can step into that role. If there's an injury who can step into that role, if, you know, with some training who can, who can get seasoned. We have a G league team now, finally. So you could send a guy down to just work on his shot for like 20 games. You know what I mean? Like you could oh, yeah. absolutely do that. Um, and so all of these things that um, in the past were complications for the Nuggets can now finally be taken advantage of. Um, I just want them to um, draft and understudy for whatever trade they make to like bolster the starting wing situation, essentially. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Just every every anybody that can really help revamp the wing position, yep. uh, add some add some depth to that group, give them some versatility, make sure that hey, BJ Dozier goes down, we're now not screwed. Like like we've got yeah. a, we've got some other options out there that that can really help the team grow and and still competes. A um, couple of other names that I want to throw your way: Jalen Williams of Santa Clara. He's been rising up draft boards over the course, course of the last, high, but yes, couple weeks. Yeah, no, he's mm-hmm. he's a guy that I, I looked at film of last week. I was like, yeah, this guy's a lottery pick, and now he's probably going to be a lottery pick or, or somewhere close right. to it. So he's probably out of the running. But six six seven two wingspan plays like Chris Middleton. I'd be pretty happy with somebody like that, but I, it doesn't look like he's going to be available. Um, Wendell Moore at Duke. He was a three-year yep. guy at Duke and was on this team with Paolo Bancaro, Mark Williams, their center, Trevor Keels, a, a uh, guard who's a potentially good defensive guard later in this draft. Uh, Wendell Moore kind of went under the radar, and I'm kind of surprised that he isn't getting more looks. He's He seems prototypical 3 and D, and he's got some some juice to do some other things. Seven-foot wingspan for a guy that's like 6'5". That's pretty good. Yeah, no, his his frame is not the is not the concern with with Wendell. It just he's not. Um, I worry about him getting blown by. That's my only concern with with Wendell Moore. Um, he loves to rebound, which I, you know me, I am of the philosophy that rebounding is defense. Like we talk sure. about Michael Porter Jr.'s defense, but if he's going to grab like six defensive rebounds or something, you know that matters we got six less chances they have for second chance points that's still defense um and so um more is a he likes to defend i just wonder um I, I he's not a confident open shooter and he's he's a little slow-footed but again i think that those are things that you can work on right like that's something uh, you can you can train somebody for that like there are literal places that you pay to train people to do these things so, and the Nuggets should have some guys on staff that are able to, you know, train people. They should be better than the college program he came from, even if it is a blue chip college program. Um, so for me, yeah, Wendell Moore is another guy that I, I assume that they are looking at. Um, if they wanted to trade back for him, I would see that a little more than if they draft him at 21. But Absolutely. This is you know, it's, mean, like, it's like Ayo Desunmu. Like, you know, last year Desunmu like went in the second round. That's a good, that's a good comp. Like he's a little bit older, has yeah. some utility, uh, still pretty skilled and versatile, but uh sort of falls because he doesn't it doesn't look like a high ceiling play. 
Like that's right. that's a guy that Denver could have used. And exactly. and obviously they got bones and, and you feel pretty good about that, but this is the the price you pay for just drafting offensive guys. That's right. Now you have to find a guy this. like that. You have to find yeah. a guy like that. And if that guy winds up being Wendell Moore and you're drafting him five positions too early, but he's your he's the guy you need. And the other guys are like, you know, jo, you know, um Jovic from uh Serbia, then you you take the guy who fits your team right now. And I understand that that people want upside over everything and that you never, ever pass on upside. But the reason that you pass on upside sometimes, and the Nuggets have found this out, is that some of the sometimes the low upside guys aren't ready to go before you need to pay them or trade them. Like, they had to make that decision on MPJ real quick, whether he's getting an extension. They had to make right. the decision on Malik Beasley real quick. You know, and so are they, are those guys able to play? Absolutely they are. Um, but you have to decide that fast, especially if they have a lot to learn before they can be NBA ready starters. Um, and so it, sometimes the Nuggets window is the next four years. Like you're looking at right now with Nikola, assuming he signs an extension, you know, you want his before he turns 30 years to get you at least into the NBA finals. So you can't wait four years for a guy to develop and become good. You can't yep, wait yep. that long. You've got to draft guys and trade for guys and sign free agents who are ready to go right now. Like you said at the beginning of the segment, uh, they have the possibility of just trading the pick outright for an upgrade. Right. Uh, we'll see how aggressive Calvin Booth is on in regard to that. I don't think that he's going to trade this pick. I actually think that it's a financial thing that they're going to want to keep the pick in order they to should. have that lower salary for the next four years. Absolutely. Uh, but that means that you got to get a guy that you think can play. And it means you got to get a guy that you think can fit. And that the wing position is where I think that's going to live. So right. we will see. Uh, but for now, uh, that is going to do it for this part of our, of our part for this podcast. We are going to head into part two on the other side, which should be out tomorrow. But if you're listening to this now, make sure to tune in to tomorrow's episode where we talk about the free agency approach and we talk about the trade approach for Calvin Booth's uh, potential big moves that he's going to be making in July this year. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into this podcast. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.